We are going to dive right into God's Word together, but before I do that, I just want to acknowledge some people in the room. Today is our first Family Worship Sunday of the new ministry year, so we have all of our first through fifth graders worshiping with us today, so we're excited that they're here, <coughs> giving them a chance to see mom and dad and the rest of the adults in their church getting after it for Jesus. So we love them kind of learning with us and coming after uh, alongside us and, and growing in that together. So um, let's go ahead and get our Bibles going to Acts chapter 4. We've been in this new series called The Power of the Spirit, walking through the book of Acts, and we're going to see that power on display again today uh, in a big, big way here. And so um, if you need a Bible, there's a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and use that to follow along as well. Love for you to do that. So as I was kind of prepping this week, I, I thought about this question. I want to just kind of ask you and see what you think the answer might be. If you were to um, stop somebody on the street, just a stranger, know somebody maybe you don't know, and ask them this question, what words do people use to describe Christians? What words do people use to describe Christians? Just a completely stranger on the street, what are some words that you think you might hear? Shout them out. Just come on. Hypocrite, judgmental, crazy, there's a little truth to that one, what else? stranger, what are some other words you might hear, okay, weirdos, intolerant, there's a good word, bigot, narrow-minded, maybe, religious, holy, Maybe holier than thou. Weak. Self-righteous. Delusional. Not real great words. Have you noticed the theme here? We're like, that's kind of a problem. And I think that's because we get wrong what we're going to talk about today. So maybe through the Holy Spirit's working in us through God's word today, maybe we can maybe get some correction on this, at least for our church and for our hearts. As we see, what we're going to talk about today is this idea of boldness. I think this is a word that you don't often, if ever, hear described as Christians. You don't usually hear the word bold or boldness. You'll hear some of these other words that we've talked about. But in the Bible, we see, especially in the book of Acts, uh, both a command in a way and also an example of Christians and even Christ himself being bold. So let me get some definitions on the table so we can get some clarity about what we're talking about and what we're maybe not talking about, okay? So... Boldness has kind of two main definitions that I found. Number one is courage in the face of danger. Courage in the face of danger. This is the kind of boldness that we think about when we label somebody a hero, right? The police officer, the firefighter, the soldier that runs into the dangerous situation in order to help in some way. They're, they're being bold. And that's good, right? We love that. We love to see heroes. That's why all of our movies are about them and our TV shows. And it's, we like that kind of boldness. It's good. But there's a second definition for boldness impudent, cocky, disregard for others. Okay? When I'm so bold that I'll say whatever I want, do whatever I want, I don't care how it affects you, I don't care how you're going to take it, I don't care about the ramifications, I'm just being bold because that's who I am. That's kind of definition number two. And we have another word for that kind of boldness, um, and it's called jerk. All right, can we just agree on that, right? Like, sometimes it's not so much being bold, just, you're just being a jerk right now. And um, I think, you know, in the Bible, gospel boldness is definitely the first one. 
It's that courage in the face of fear. It's willing to step out into dangerous situations and be willing to go the extra mile for what Jesus called us to do. That's the kind of boldness we want. But I think too often we drift into the second type of boldness where we actually just come off as a jerk. Or we don't do boldness at all and we just come off as a coward. Okay? And so Jesus was bold without being a jerk. The apostles in Acts, the new church in Acts, we see them being bold without crossing that line into something that's not good or healthy or helpful. So that's what we're going to try to figure out today. How do we do that? So here's the question. How can I live a life of gospel boldness worthy of my Savior? Not just boldness for the sake of boldness, but how can I live a life of gospel boldness that is worthy of the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world? Or if I could even shorten that question down, I would say this, how can I be bolder for Jesus? How do I do that in a way that's effective and is in line with, with God's word? So, Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 5 today. Uh, just kind of catch you up. Last week, if you remember, Peter and John walking into the temple, lame guy there sitting on the, on the side of the street. They heal him. He gets up, he starts walking. They start preaching the gospel to everyone in the temple because of his testimony and then the, the Jewish leaders don't really like that, so they come and arrest them and put them in custody. And then we pick up in verse 5. It says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, who all were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Pause. We're going to wait. We'll get to the speech in just a second. The first thing I want you to see here is this. Gospel boldness starts with the spirit, not self. God, this is so key. You've got to start in the right place if you want to get to the right end. All right? Gospel boldness starts with the spirit, not with self. Let me show you the, the two examples here that kind of contrast. So you have, it says the rulers, the elders, and the scribes. Those were the three groups that made up what we, was called the Jewish Sanhedrin. It was the ruling body over Jerusalem and over Judaism at this point in time, okay? And then it says some specific guys, uh, Annas, the high priest, which interestingly enough, he is no longer the high priest at this point. Um, He had been deposed by the Romans, but he was still kind of the patriarch of the priestly family. So he still kind of got the title within the, the Jewish realm, even though the Romans didn't really see him that way anymore. His son, Caiaphas, the next guy listed, was the actual official high priest at this point. And then you have John and Alexander. Um, We're not really sure exactly who they are, but they're part of this high priestly family. So there's this whole family that was kind of in control of all of the things that were happening with Judaism in Jerusalem, and these are the guys. And so they got all the top dogs in the room for this trial, right? And no doubtly trying to intimidate Peter and John into submitting to what they wanted them to do. And I, I think... It probably was a little effective. <laughs> um, you got to remember that Peter and John know that this is the exact same group. This is the Sanhedrin, this exact same council that just a couple months ago brought Jesus in, unjustly tried him and beat him and brought all these false witnesses against him and then sent him off to be killed. So they know how this group works. They know what they're capable of and now they're standing before them for the, basically the exact same reason. 
and they asked them, by what power or by what name did you do this? Did you do this healing? See, they, they knew the reality of what had happened here. What they're seeing in this healing is not something that comes about by human hands. There was a power, there was a person behind this that was greater than and bigger than and above mere humanity that was working through Peter and John. The implication of their statement is, listen, we have the power here. Like, we're the powerful ones, we're the ones in charge, and you're coming in here doing stuff that we didn't approve of, and so who do you think you are, and where are you getting this power from, and, and give us an explanation of what's happening here. The Jewish leaders here, they certainly had a boldness about them, didn't they? But it wasn't the good kind. Do you see it? Do you see the presumption and the pride and the jerkiness, if that's a word? I don't know if that's, but we're going to go with that today. And then you have the flip. Look at Peter. It says, Peter, filled with the, what? Holy Spirit said to them. Listen, Peter was not up all night, the night before, in his little prison cell, writing out his defense of how he was going to deal with this court case the next day. Right? He was probably sleeping soundly because he knows he's walking in and God's got this. And it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. God is here defending himself through Peter. Peter's not defending anything. God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking through Peter to defend his own work, his own gospel, his own name. Peter's just the mouthpiece. This is actually a fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made to his disciples way back in Luke chapter 12. In verse 11, he says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So Peter knew what was coming, and he's ready. And Peter knew exactly where the power came from. There was no doubt in his mind. It wasn't from him. It was from Jesus. It was from the Holy Spirit. This is why he could be so bold in front of this group that just crucified his master a few months ago. Because the Holy Spirit was giving him a courage and a power and a boldness that wasn't in him. It was in Jesus. The leaders are getting ready to see exactly where the power came from in this whole new round of boldness through Peter. In fact, to show you that what I'm saying is correct, jump down to verse 13 with me for just a second. This is after Peter gives a speech, but notice the reaction. It says, now when they, the, the Jewish leaders, when they saw the boldness, there's our word, of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So after Peter's speech, it says that they saw the boldness of these men coming directly from the Holy Spirit through Peter as he speaks. But they also noticed that these are uneducated, common men. In other words, they didn't go to rabbi school. They should know how to talk like this. They should know this kind of stuff. Like, how can they give this wisdom, poetic, well-versed kind of speech in their defense when they should not have that capability? It was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they said, I love this statement, and it says, but then they recognized, oh, they've been with that Jesus guy. <laughs> like, what a compliment, right? Like, when someone's like going after you, and you get done with your little thing, and they're like, oh, 
you must have been with Jesus, right? I think they're remembering back. Like, remember that Jesus guy? We always had problems with him, too. He was always saying stuff that we didn't know how to refute. We didn't know how to defend ourselves, and we couldn't come up with a good argument against him either. They've been hanging out with him. So now they know what to say and how to go and what to do. And how'd they get like this? They were with Jesus. The same thing is true for us today as followers of Christ. Do you want to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to know what to say in the moment? Do you want to have those experiences where you are so used by God that, man, nobody can explain it? You know how you get that? Be with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Like, in his presence, hearing his voice, reading his word, praying, worshiping like we just did this morning. Like, I don't know about you, man, but I had a little conference up here with Jesus this morning when we were singing, right? Like, this, this is how we get into the presence of the king. As we do what he's called us to do, and then he comes and he fills our lives and our hearts and our minds with who he is and what he's called us to. Being with Jesus, this is how you know. This is how you know if you've been with Jesus. Being with Jesus both brings both humility and confidence. Humility because in the presence of the perfect Savior, I see the great depth of my sin and the wickedness of my own heart. But confidence because I also see the Savior who cleanses me of that sin and gives me power to walk in newness of life through the Holy Spirit. And that is a pairing, that humility and that confidence in him, not in me, is a pairing that you will not find anywhere else in this world. And that's where our boldness is supposed to come from. Boldness comes when I trust in the power of Jesus. Jerkiness comes when I trust in the power of me. That's the contrast you see here between Peter and these leaders. This summer, um, our family goes to Cardinals games a couple times during the summer usually. And so we were going to the Cardinals game one time. We were kind of walking up towards the stadium. We got our Cardinals red on and peanuts in hand. You know, you can't go to the ball game without peanuts, right? So we're walking in with our stuff and we're ready to go. And as we're walking up, we, I, we see him. We see the guy. You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the Bush Stadium prophet. Have you seen this guy? The guy walking up and down the sidewalks with the big signs, right? Repent or you're going to burn in hell. And he's got, the, he's got the headset mic on and he's screaming, you know, violent verses at people on the street with a little speaker attached to his belt. He's just like going after it. As we're walking up, I see him doing this thing. And it was so interesting to look across the street and to see all the lines of people that are just waiting to get into the stadium, right? They're waiting the ticket lines and to see their responses to him, right? Like some were just staring in disbelief, like, can you believe it? Like, what is this, who is this guy? Some of them are pointing and mocking, but most of them are just doing this, right? They're just turning their back and trying to avoid this unpleasant affront that's happening when they're just trying to go watch some baseball. So as we're walking up, I'm, we're walking up as a family, I'm holding, I've got Ava with me, I'm holding Ava's hand, and she turns to me, she says, Dad, Daddy, who, who is that? What, what, what's he doing? I said, well, he's, he's trying to teach these people about the gospel and about their sin. And, and she said, 
why is he doing it so mean? Exactly. Right? <laughs> I couldn't say it any better than that. In John 13, 35, Jesus said this. He said, by all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Boldness and love are not opposites. They're not contrary to one another. In fact, I would challenge you that being bold and courageous in the spirit, the most courageous thing you can do sometimes is step out and love somebody who's unlovable to put yourself out and make yourself sacrifice something to show love to somebody else who doesn't get it yet. That's the kind of boldness that the world needs. Gospel boldness starts with confidence in the spirit, not in myself. This is the key. If you have confidence in the spirit, you will be bold and loving at the same time because that's what he is in you. But when I try to do it on my own way, in my own thoughts, in my own agenda, it goes south really quick. So just real simple today, point number one, be bold, not a jerk. Everybody good? All right, like that's pretty much point one. Okay, point number two, let's go next in the scriptures. Keep going here in verse eight. Now this is Peter's speech to the rulers, right? Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that the, was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And then go to verse 14. We already read 13. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. This is the rulers. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, so they kicked Peter and John out, they, confirmed with, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Point number two, gospel boldness starts, I'm sorry, gospel boldness speaks for truth, not personal gain. Gospel boldness speaks for truth, not personal gain. So they ask Peter and John, by what means, by what power, by what authority has this man been healed? And Peter's typical response, by the name of Jesus. But he doesn't just say Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's really specific, isn't it? Because you see, during this day and time, there were actually probably been several guys named Jesus. It was actually a fairly common name before he got it, and then nobody else wanted to have it, right? Because I'm not that Jesus, right? So, um, but back then it was fairly common. So they said Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't have last names back then. So you would either tag on the name of the father, Jesus son of Joseph, or the city they came from, Jesus of Nazareth, to kind of be more specific, like this is the guy I'm talking about, the specific dude, right? They're like, Jesus of Nazareth, that guy, you know him. And by the way, Jesus 
Christ of Nazareth. I hope you understand, if not, today's your aha moment. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay, like that's, that wasn't a name, that was actually a title. Christ is just another word for Messiah. Right? The chosen one, the one that God promised was going to come and save his people and deliver them and, and reunite them with him. So Peter here is making a very strong, specific claim to these leaders. He's saying, make no mistake about it. This man was healed, not just by Yahweh, not just by God, not just by the Lord. No, no, no. He was healed by Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth. That's a very exclusive claim for the power of Jesus. And then he tacks on, whom you crucified. <laughs> like, Peter just doesn't give up, right? Like, he just goes right back at him. Like, so bold. These are the guys who just killed Jesus, as he's saying, and can do the same to him. And he's like, that guy you killed, that's who healed him. It's interesting to me that Peter here, he doesn't back down from the truth. No matter what it's going to cost him, he doesn't back down. He's been doing this the whole time. As soon as the Holy Spirit came and filled all the believers and they rushed out in the streets, right? His very first sermon, he preached this exact same message, you killed Jesus, you need him, to the crowd in the street. But then he escalated. He went from the crowd in the street, and then he preached it to the crowd in the temple, like in the Jews' backyard, right? The Jewish leader's backyard. And now he's preaching it directly to the Jewish leaders who have his fate in their hands. Bold. Bold for the truth. He says, and God raised him from the dead which is another jab at them because if you remember last week, the reason that they arrested him is because they were upset that he was preaching about what? The resurrection. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And it was going to undermine their power. And he's like, hey, by the way, the same power that healed this guy is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The guy you said who wasn't raised, the guy you don't believe in, all of that, that power healed him. So now what are you going to do? Right? This is the gospel, friends. The gospel is so offensive to our pride in our hearts and our sin because it calls us out in truth. It tells us the truth about ourselves, that we are indeed sinners, broken and desperate and rebellious against God. And that short of the saving work of Jesus Christ on my in my place for my sins on the cross, that I am destined to be separated from God for all eternity. But if I'll believe, if I'll turn and put my faith, even as Peter is, is accusing them and, and, and boldly telling them the truth, he's actually, as we're going to see in a second, he's actually inviting them in. Right? If you'll see it, if you'll change your mind and see the power of Jesus, you can come and be on the right side of this. You don't have to stay in opposition. Because God also raised him from the dead so that he could come back and show you he is God and to forgive your sins and to offer you acceptance into the kingdom. He wants to heal your sin just like he healed this lame man's legs. And the same is true for us today. If you're in a place where your heart is holed up in sin and you are separated from God because of it, all it takes is a moment of pure and true repentance for God to forgive you and heal you of all of that. He goes on, 
Jesus, the stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. He's referencing here Psalm 118.22. This was a prophecy that God said he was going to send the chosen one, the Messiah, to be the new foundation of, of his people. And he says, you guys have rejected him. You denied him, you rejected him, you threw him out, you killed him. He says, but I got news for you. Salvation is in no one else. This is the exclusivity of Jesus. There are not, please listen to me today, there are not many ways to God or heaven. I know that is a super unpopular statement in our world today, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. There is one way through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes when we say that as Christians today, we're called, one of the words we heard earlier, intolerant, right? How can you say you're the, your way's the only way? That seems very intolerant. Please understand, Christians, you gotta get this because this is not going away. And we have to know how to deal with this and respond to this. Information is not intolerant. Imposition is. There is a difference. Me telling you the truth about what is, me giving you the information you need to make an informed decision, that is not intolerant. Me trying to impose that on you and make you believe what I believe, now we're moving into intolerance. Which is crazy because none of us can make anybody believe anything. That is the sole work of the power of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to inform Information is not intolerant. Imposition is. When religion or belief is forced on someone, that's intolerance. But when it's offered as a gift universally to all who will believe, that's an invitation. If I was standing up here and telling you Jesus is the only way and too bad you can't have him, now we've got a problem. But I'm not saying that. The Bible doesn't say that. Peter's not saying that. He's saying Jesus is the only way. And please come. You're invited in. That's not intolerance. That's loving. So they finally get done hearing Peter's thing. And they are, don't really know what to do. So they send them out. Like get these guys out of here. We've got to talk amongst ourselves and figure this out. And it says, seeing the man who was healed... They had nothing to say. Because here's the reality, friends. You cannot refute clear truth. When you are face-to-face -face with truth, you can't refute that. You can't do anything against that. This is where we are at. A great example of this today is with the, with the pro-abortion movement. When it all started way back when, and we started trying to legalize all of this, the argument back then was what? It's okay to have an abortion because the... It is not a, it's not a baby. It's not a life. There's not actually life there yet. It's just tissue, so it's not a big deal. But as science has progressed over the decades, what have they proven? That it actually is a life, that there actually is breath, and there's actually things happening there that constitute life. 
And so now that they can't refute that clear truth anymore, they're not even saying that anymore. They've completely changed the argument. To, it doesn't matter if it's a life or not. It's the woman's body, so it's the woman's choice. Right? They're not even arguing if it's a life anymore. Like, that argument is done. That's been put to bed. The only argument now is, do I have the right to take this life because that life is inside my life? You see, when you can't refute the truth anymore, you have to do something else. You have to sidestep it. You have to subvert it. You have to hide it. You have to ignore it. You have to find some other way. And so they ask themselves, what shall we do with these men? It's clearly that somebody's been healed here. So what do we do with these guys? And it's so interesting, the language there. What shall we do with these men? Not sh- what shall we do with this truth? Not what shall we do with this healing or with this new revelation or what shall we do with this Jesus guy? What do we do about the guys who won't shut up? What do we do about the guys who keep witnessing about all this that we don't want people to hear about? They say right here in the text, we can't deny it. So they're acknowledging this was truly a miracle. It's obvious to all. We can't deny it, but we don't want it to spread any further. We got to stop it. We got to we got to find a way to spin this or discredit this or find some way to stop the message. So he says, we'll, they say, we'll just tell them to speak no more in this name. No longer are you allowed to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what they're going to tell them. And they pointed, they pinpointed to the name because they know that's where the power lies. The power's not in the healing The power is not even in the testimony of the lame guy. The power is in the person who did the healing, which Peter has already said unequivocally is not him. It's Jesus. So don't speak in his name anymore. This is another primary issue for Christians in the church right now in America. We have lots of Christians and lots of churches that would love to talk about you know, forgiveness and love and acceptance and justice and all these things, but want to completely avoid the name of Jesus. Because that's too divisive. It's too exclusive. It's, it's, it's too, you know, offensive to people. So we, we got to just leave the, leave the Jesus part out. And we can just talk about love. And we can just talk about, you know, joy and all these kind of things. But here's the problem with that. When you take away the name of Jesus, you take away all power to achieve the things by which you are trying to achieve. Love, forgiveness, justice, all that comes only because of the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus working in and through us. You take away Jesus, you defeat your own purpose in what you say you're trying to do. Right here, the Jewish leaders, due to their rejection of Jesus, they fail to see and appreciate what has been done. They've got the clear evidence right in front of them, but they have already so set their hearts and their minds against the person of Jesus and his message that they cannot begin to turn over to this other thing. It's going to cost them too much. They're going to have to give up power and position and all these kind of, like, it's going to cost too much to follow Jesus for them. So they're just going to find a way to completely disregard it. That's how hard-hearted they are. My fear today is that some of you are in that same spot. You know the facts about Jesus. You know the story. You may even believe 
parts of it. But you've come to understand that for me to actually follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up too much. I'm going to have to sacrifice too much. I'm not willing to pay that price. And so I have to find some other way to discredit and walk away and spin all of this religious Christianity stuff so I can justify my unbelief. Following Jesus does have a cost. And being bold for Jesus has a cost. Please understand, Christians, you're not going to be able to do this in this world and it not cost you something. Do you know that conservative estimates say that over 4,000 Christians a year are killed across the globe for their faith? That's approximately 11 a day not just killed in general, killed for their faith. Other experts put the number even higher than that. On top of that, 3,000 Christians are arrested and imprisoned each year across the globe without any type of trial, without any type of due process, just because of their faith. In many countries in the world, following Jesus Christ with boldness comes at great cost. Fortunately for us here in the United States, it's not there yet. There's a cost, but it's not that kind of cost. The cost that it, we might have is, you know, discomfort in the home or, you know, loss of a friendship or being passed over for promotion at work or just being thought of as the crazy one in the neighborhood. Like what, like there's a cost to it for us, but it's not that kind of cost. And yet, even though our cost is smaller, how often do we not speak up when truth is being maligned and lies are being propagated? Because we're afraid of the cost. How often do we just smile and change the subject rather than address the issue with truth in love. How often do we just avoid the topic altogether so that we don't have to talk about Jesus or the gospel and fear that they might disagree with us? Peter's standing here in front of the group that just killed Jesus. He knew the possible cost. And yet he spoke with boldness through the Holy Spirit. Gospel boldness speaks the truth no matter the cost. Gospel boldness speaks the truth no matter the cost. So again, if I was to summarize this point, be bold, not a coward. Okay? Be bold, not a jerk, and be bold, not a coward. There's a fine line in the middle there that we have to trace. But then look how this, this part of the story ends. Look at verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened 
For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Number three, point number three today, gospel boldness submits to God, not men. Gospel boldness submits to God, not men. So they bring him back in, and the Sanhedrin, the ruling body, the court, charges them not to speak in this name. This is a legal ruling. This is a legal demand. If they violate this, they will be in contempt of court, which will lead to greater punishment. That is abundantly clear to Peter right here. And Peter's response is, well, you have to judge whether it's right to listen to you or listen to God. (laughs) Which is implying in that statement, you're not on the same side as God is here. Right? So again, he's calling them out. Like, listen, we have to obey the right authority here. You do understand this Bible teaches us that we are supposed to obey the authority that God has placed over us. We're supposed to obey our parents as for little kids. We're supposed to obey our boss. We're supposed to obey our our teachers. We're supposed to obey um, the police officer that pulls you over even when you didn't like it. Like we're supposed to obey authority. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. But it also says that there is a greater authority in our life and that's God himself. And anytime human authority contradicts God's authority, we have to do what Peter does here and say, sorry, but we're going to obey God, not you. Who does your life show is your ultimate authority? When you're walking through your day, when you're making your decisions, when you're spending your money, when you're working, when you're doing stuff at the house, what is your life, who does your life show is your ultimate authority? Are you, mo- are you primarily living unto God or are you primarily living unto men and their opinions and their thoughts and their positions on things? Listen, we can't say Jesus is Lord and then live as if he isn't. That just doesn't coincide. It's so easy to sing those words in a song, to read them in scripture, to say them in a prayer. But we have no right to say those words if our lives are not aligning themselves with the reality that he is Lord. He is the authority. Love for Jesus equals obedience to Jesus. That's what he said. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Plain and simple. Keeping commandments doesn't save us. It doesn't earn us his love. But if we love him out of love, we will obey. We will follow. We will submit to him and his authority in our life. And here's the catch. Sometimes obeying Jesus the Lord means suffering and sacrificing like Jesus the Savior. Sometimes the way that he calls us to follow him and obey means that we're going to have to give up and suffer and sacrifice in the process. Because that's what our Savior did for us. So they tell him, hey, you've got to make the decision, but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That is a clear defiance of the court. They just told him, don't speak about this to anybody else. Sorry, God told us to, we're going to do it. That's basically what he said. 
right? Like this is, they are so compelled by the gospel. They are so compelled by the spirit that they have to speak. Bold gospel proclamation is the uncontrollable outcome of true gospel transformation. If the gospel has truly transformed your heart and your life, you cannot help but speak it. It just comes out. And it should come out with a boldness that's empowered by the Spirit. I said a couple weeks ago that Christianity is an outbreak, not a program. It's not something that you can stop and you can legislate. You can't speak a decree over it and make it stop. It just goes because of this. Oftentimes I'll joke with parents, especially young parents, that you're not really a parent until you've had to clean up your child covered in vomit. Right? Like that's when you get your parent card. Right? Like that's the moment where it's real. Um, I remember one night we heard um, that dreadful sound coming from one of the bedrooms, followed by Eliana's voice calling out for mom and dad. And so we walk into her room to find her still laying in her top bunk, and she looks up, and her face is covered in a mask of vomit. And we're like, so she, she, she was laying down in her bed, and she had thrown up while she's still laying down. So it, you know, what goes up must come down. So it's all over her face, it's all over her clothes, it's all over her bed and her pillow. And we're like, baby, what happened? And she's like, I, I don't know. I, I, I just couldn't stop it. We've been there, right? Listen, the gospel is like vomit. Once it's inside of you, it's going to come out. And you cannot stop it. If you are truly transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will flow out of you in bold proclamation. Anything short of that is a sign that we are not living with Jesus. We are not being with Jesus and being transformed by the Holy Spirit. So it says they threatened them and they let them go, having no way to punish them because of the people. That's a very important phrase. Because of the people. Listen, leaders are not leaders when they cower to popular demand. When they don't do what they know is right or what they think is right because of what people might think, because of what man might do. The Jewish leaders here, they have no true gospel boldness because they have no conviction. They just have convenience. They're only looking through the lens of what's going to make my life easier and better and how do I mitigate this situation, not what do I think is right and true and good. They have no gospel boldness because they will only, they're submitting to men and not to God. Disciples of Jesus Christ, listen to me today. If you, can, if you count yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, please hear this. Live out your convictions, not your convenience. 
You want to be bold for Christ? You have to live out your convictions of the Spirit and of his word, not live out of whatever's easiest for your life. Gospel boldness submits to God because he is Lord and not any man. He alone is Lord. Be bold, not a people pleaser. Be bold, not a coward. And be bold, not a jerk. This is what it looks like to walk in gospel boldness. How can I be bolder for Jesus? That was the question, right? How can I be bolder for Jesus? Be filled with the Spirit by being with Jesus on a regular basis. Speak truth, even when it requires sacrifice. And submit to God, not to men. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to fill us with gospel boldness. We're going to respond and believe that he'll do it. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you God so much for our time again together today. Lord, you are so faithful to come and meet us here every single week. To pour into us your word, Lord, to teach us and grow us and stretch us, Lord. We so deeply desire that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the heroic boldness of your son, Jesus Christ, who came to preach and teach repentance. Thank you for his boldness to challenge man-made religion with the true gospel. Thank you for his boldness to die in our place for our sins on the cross. But we plead with you, Lord, please forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we fail to walk in the same boldness as our Savior. Lord, fill us with your spirit, fill us with your power, so that we might have the courage to speak truth and follow you no matter what the cost. Lord, give us a greater spirit of boldness for you, for your kingdom, for your mission. We love you, we worship you. In Christ's name we pray.